0: You may be seated. Turn to Matthew 5 as we continue our series in the Sermon on the Mount. I am going to begin reading in uh, verse 11. Actually 10, verse 10. And then I'm going to read down through 16. So Matthew 5, 10 through 16. This is the word of the Lord. Blessed are they... Which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. You are the salt, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel but on a candlestick, and it gives light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men. That they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Let us pray. Father, we come before you again just asking for mercy. Holy Spirit, this is your word. And I come in great confidence knowing that you're going to do what you intend to do with your word today. And I'm so grateful it doesn't depend on me. So I thank you for that. And I pray, Lord, that you would take this word and apply it to these hearts here today. I pray, Father, for preaching grace and also for hearing grace, that those that are sitting here today would be able to focus and that they would be able to separate so that they might benefit. In Christ's name, amen. Well, we've been singing about desire. And I've been seeing desire in your hearts as you sing the words of these songs that uh, are, are talking about the desire of their hearts. Christ is the treasure I desire. And I've been just kind of sensing that in service today. And, you know, the Jesus Christ's desire was to recover your heart so that you might desire him. And... We come today once again, as everybody's been in the fight of faith all week, to have our hearts uh, undeceived again and our minds undeceived and clarified by truth so that we can desire the most perfect, beautiful, and holy being in the universe. In the Sermon on the Mount, this is kind of like Christ's love letter to you. And he's explaining to you, I loved you so much, I gave myself for you, and I want to tell you what's going on in the world. I I came into the world 2,000 years ago, and I began separating people out to myself, out of the kingdom of darkness. The whole world lies in darkness and wickedness. And if you can hear the voice of Christ, you are the most blessed because you've been called out of that darkness into this kingdom of light. You can see the word. Your heart is stirred in singing and singing in prayer, and you hear the expressions of praise here and the crying out of petitions to this Lord who we desire. And uh This current reality right now in 2023 is there are two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And as we go through this, this word is like the refiner's fire that sifts our heart to encourage us to press forward into that kingdom of heaven. It is the revealer of those things that we need to separate from, the things we need to cut off and pluck out. Every day this kingdom work is going on in your soul, whether you realize it or not. And you have a loving, gracious, merciful Christ who is working in you so that you can be merciful, gracious, a peacekeeper, so that you can be salt and light. And that is our message today, salt and light. I don't know how you can get a better title than that. Know we use that a lot, but salt and light. And so as we understand the reality of sin and darkness and righteousness and judgment to come, it keeps us sober and it keeps us separated from being conformed to the world. Now along the way as this word is manifested and there's the sense where preachers are the candlestick set on the candlestick, setting forth the light of the gospel And it's going to draw some in, and others will reject it. And again, I'm grateful it's it's God that does that work, not me. Some will be converted, some will not. Some believe, some believe not. We read that throughout the Scriptures. And so as I come today, I come again just wanting to uh, stir your heart up to that chief desire of, of loving Christ. Because if you love Christ above all things, when the United States is crumbles into the dust of history, you're not going to be surprised by that. You're not going to fret over it. You're not going to be worried about that. As you continue to see the deception and the darkness spread in the kingdom of darkness, darkness gets darker and darker, and the kingdom of light gets better and better. And so, uh, you know, we as believers should never become depressed thinking well things are getting worse and worse well yeah in the kingdom of darkness but not here things are getting better and better here things are getting better and better in our hearts and our life and uh and that's the good news of the gospel is that we have already overcome death what else is there to work? what can they do to us right they can kill the body and then we'd be with jesus wouldn't that be sweet And so this kingdom work is going on here in this little flock here. And God is doing that work in little congregations around the world today. Working in our brothers and sisters in Africa uh, in this women's ministry there. Praise God for that. Glad that we had the opportunity to do that. Uh, I think it's a good time to talk about now a little bit about what's God doing here in our congregation. Uh, What is God ordained? You know, the Holy Spirit... Is the one, as you start reading the book of Acts, who's the one who's present, who's doing the work. Christ went to heaven, sent the Spirit, and then as you read through the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is the person of the Trinity that is now at work in the church, at work here in this community of faith. And this Holy Spirit is ordained that we have three services a week. Most of the time, we have a couple Sundays that we don't. And so the, the Spirit says, These are the times set aside for you to be here. For kingdom work that takes place in a special way in your heart. Uh, along the way, God is also raising up two husband and wife teams to begin the work of the ministry. Isn't that great? You know that? Uh, it, it's great to see that uh, God is continuing to raise up uh, men to hold up the word of truth. Uh, I've got a, a, a Print out where a couple a few years ago I went back and I've got the list of every pastor that's ever been a pastor here the fellowship since 1829 right I've got every pastor out of the minutes and isn't it great to see God's faithfulness and that he's always provided the ministry of the gospel here in this place and and so Marvin and I have been praying since we were ordained who's next and praying toward that end. And I'm glad to see God is doing that work here. So these two men, God has spoken to them that you need to be taught First John and James. And so they're practicing. And me and Marvin have thrown them on the schedule. So y'all pray for them. Because these guys are working 40 hours a week. They got kids. They're in the, the heat of the battle. But that's just the way it works. I mean, you got to jump in there and figure it out, right? So y'all pray for them as they're figuring out their schedules, how to do that. The Holy Spirit has told them to teach this to you, so you need to be here, and you need to be participating in that. Now, I know there's some can't always participate in that. We've got a way you can participate uh, through through the streaming. But you need to be part of that, and you need to be praying for them in the pew while they're up here, and give them feedback. Help them. Pray them pray along this great journey that God the Holy Spirit is leading us to as a church. But I'm telling you, we all need 1 John and we all need James. We need those that, that teaching in our life for us to be salt and light. So I encourage you as we continue along this journey of holding up Jesus Christ as the light of the world that you would be a part of that. I encourage you to be a part of that. There's a blessing... If you will engage in that and be patient and long suffering in this process we're going through and help the whole congregation, help us all work towards the next generation of teachers and preachers for the next generation of believers. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So the time is short, Christ is coming soon. Be prepared. I come again today to help prepare you a little bit more and to get you ready for that glorious day when everything's going to change. It's going to be uh, cataclysmic. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be glorious in that day. Well, one of the things that we see here in the text, the reason I wanted to start back in what we did last time talking about persecution we talked about the fact that this righteousness that exceeds which is the theme of the whole message in verse 20 this righteousness that exceeds any kind of religious tradition or anything it's the righteousness of christ that we are given when we're born of the spirit this exceeding righteousness will produce resistance in the world and christ kind of continues in that talks about you're going to be salt and light of course salt if you throw salt in a wound it burns and so there's, there's going to be, you know, some, some resistance along the way. But one of the things that uh, one commentator points out is if you notice in verse 10, in all of the Beatitudes up until verse 11, we have singular pronouns. Blessed are the peacemakers. And then blessed are they, plural pronoun. And then you get to verse 11, it's blessed are you. It goes singular. And then he does the same thing when he's talking of you are the salt of the light, you are the light of the world. And this one commentator points out that there's a distinction being made there from the general congregation and a special application to ministers of the word. I think that's true. I think that's true. It does apply to everybody. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And so whatever is applicable to a minister is applicable to everybody as they are to be the examples to the flock. And so I think that's important, as I just mentioned in everything I did about God raising up men to hold forth this word of light to the world, is that there's a special application for men moving forward in the ministry. So pray for them, and pray for yourself. Brothers and sisters, uh, you are the last line of defense between this corrupt world and perishing sinners. And that's my main purpose today is to get you to understand you are the last line of defense between this corrupt world and perishing sinners. When Christ starts saying you're the salt of the world, you're the light of the world, the presupposition there is what? The earth is corrupt and needs preserving. The earth is dark and needs light. And you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. You are the ones who are actually preserving. You are the ones... It's interesting also to think about this, that those whom the world hates the most are the ones they need the most. We think about Lot. His wife is turned into a pillar of salt, but Lot was really the salty one. Because God didn't destroy an entire city for the sake of one grain of salt. Until he was removed and then God destroyed that place. And so salt, you are the salt of the earth. You are the preservative. You are the ones that are standing between ultimate corruption and holding it back. We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in wickedness. Well, what is salt? Well, I'm a food scientist so I could... I would like to go off in that direction. And, and we've we got to look at it just a little bit because, you know, God preaches a sermon through everything he made. And salt is necessary for life. Most of you all know today, we've got enough information that if you're out, you know, at camp and you're sweating, you need to put salts back in your body because you're sweating out those salts. And so we drink these drinks that have these salts and, and minerals in them to replenish that which we've lost. You know, that salt uh, is something that, so it's necessary for life. It's necessary for life in the ocean. Uh, in the in the old days, salt was refrigeration. So I know that a lot of you kids, you don't know what that would be like to not have a refrigerator. We called them ice boxes when I was a little bitty. Because it was a box and you put ice in it and you kept stuff in there. But along the, the way, the refrigeration has, has been a great blessing to humanity. But in the old days, the meat had to be salted and that salt had to be rubbed into that meat in order to prevent corruption. And I think that's the main idea here for believers is we are the salt of the earth. Is Our purpose here is to work ourselves in to the world and every person, every place you go, you are to be a preserving influence. And it's these beatitude characters... Characteristics that make you salty. Salt is God's great antiseptic in a sphere of decay. I read from one pastor this week. God's great antiseptic in a sphere of decay. To be humble, meek, repentant, hungering and thirsting after an exceeding righteousness, a righteousness we don't have is to be salt in life. Salt is something that Remains distinct too. So if you you see your saltine crackers, you can see the salt on there. So salt remains distinct and separate, and yet it's there to preserve. We are to be influencers in this world for good. Roman soldiers would get paid with salt. Salt. That's where the expression came from. If a soldier wasn't a very good soldier, he was not worth his salt. Salt was used in the sacrifices in the temple in Leviticus 2.13. And every oblation of thy meat offering shall you season with salt. Neither shall you suffer the salt of the covenant of thy God to be lacking for thy meat offering. So salt was used to preserve the meat Salt was a picture of Jesus Christ. Christ is the salt. And once you're salted with Christ, you are preserved forever. Isn't that great? There was also, salt was something that was used to seal a covenant. It's still used today in some of the Eastern cultures where when somebody makes a business agreement, they'll eat salt together. The salt is used to signify an everlasting covenant in the Bible. The salt Of the everlasting covenant. And so the salt was used to seal covenants. To preserve agreements. And if you are in the everlasting covenant. With Jesus Christ. The preserver of the covenant. You will be preserved. And you will be able to speak. With salt. Your words will be. Influencing words that will help preserve people, heal people, edify people. And uh, Colossians 4:6, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. That you may know how you ought to answer every man. And so our speech... How much time does the Bible spend on how we use this little thing right here? You prove whether you are salt and light and in Christ by how you use your tongue. Tongue was never meant to dice people up and wound hearts. Never. Your speech is to be with grace seasoned with salt. It's this character of Christ and this influence of Christ in our life. That gives us the wisdom so we know how to answer every person. And, And sometimes if somebody comes at us spewing, you know, anger and stuff, then maybe we need to back off. We've got to be careful we don't react. We have to have wisdom to know how to answer them. And as we've learned with the kids in the book Tactics, how do we answer people with a question? Why would you talk to me like that? He goes on here and says, but if the salt has lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? So when your salt is no longer salty, what do you salt your salt with? That's, that's kind of like, you know, I've got some powdered water, but I don't know what to add. So salt is salt. And if your salt isn't salty, then it's, he goes on and says what? It's good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. And I think that's a warning for us. We're, you are salt, believer. Don't lose your saltiness. And throughout this Sermon on the Mount, and the rest of the New Testament, which is an explanation of the Sermon on the Mount, we learn how not to lose our saltiness. Where he says, put off the old man, put on the new man. Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. In 1 Corinthians 15.33, one way you can lose your saltiness, he says, be not deceived. Bad company corrupts good manners. Hanging out with the wrong ones will dilute your saltiness. Salt becomes unsalty when it's diluted. So, salt that's mixed with a bunch of dirt is not going to be salty. And, of course, the idea is here once you've lost your saltiness, it cannot be recovered. Good for nothing to be cast out and trodden under the foot of men. Second 2 Peter and two twenty, for if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, so a person has escaped the pollutions of the world, the dirt, the filth that would dilute it to the point where they could be salty, they've escaped that through the knowledge of the Lord. And Savior Jesus Christ. If they are again entangled therein. And overcome. They become diluted again. No longer salty. The latter end is worse with them. Than the beginning. For it had been better. For them to never have known. The way of righteousness. Than after they have known it. To turn from the holy commandment. Delivered on them. I think it's a warning. Christ is saying here. Don't lose your saltiness. Don't become good for nothing. Maintain your saltiness. I think there's a special applications again there for preachers if a pastor falls into sin it's going to be hard for him to recover the saltiness to be able to stand again and so diluting salt loses its effectiveness and its purity and so we have to keep our salt separate and that's why you're here today right once again the spirit's here he's calling you out He's helping you look through your week, this past week, and think about it. Think about how you used your mouth. You got anything you need to repent of? Things you need to make right? He's helping us to maintain our saltiness. We are told to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, right? But there... First, it says, Lay down your bodies a living sacrifice. That's the living sacrifices, the sacrifice in the Old Testament that were salted with salt. Lay down your bodies a living sacrifice and be transformed. Don't be conformed, be transformed. So, the way we maintain our saltiness is by being ever renewed by the word of truth. Your mind was designed, it's very specifications, was for the code. Your computer between your ears, your gray matter, was designed for this software. This is your code. This is how your mind works the best and how you're most filled with joy. This is how you have the most wisdom to know how to answer every man. And so we are transformed. That's something I believe. Once we become salt tonight, the believer is ever pressing toward that mark of the high calling. I want to be more salty. I want to be more effective. I want to be more of an influence for good. I was reading this week a great story about a salty life. You know, I love heroes of the faith. Not heroes of the world. Heroes of the faith. And I was reading about Amy Carmichael. Some of y'all know her story. She was a Scotch-Irish young lady. And uh, she became salt and light. And she was transformed. And she laid down her life to go serve somewhere. And she started out trying to go to China or Japan. She winds up in India. And she went there in 1895. And she never left. She died in 1951, so it was just about 55 years there. Her real ministry began after she was there about five or six years whenever there was this seven-year-old Indian girl named Prina who escaped a Hindu temple where she had been abandoned by her mother as a devotion to the gods which was to serve as a temple prostitute for the Hindu priest for the rest of her life. Now, she had fled this temple before, this little girl, Prina, and she had hoped her mother would rescue her. Can you imagine going through that, having a mom turn you over to that? Brothers and sisters, there is evil and wicked in the world. And Amy Carmichael went there as salt and light in a culture so radically different from our own, it's hard for us to even conceive of. This little girl, Prina, escaped once and her mother took her back and they took hot irons and burned her hands to try to punish her, to keep her from running away. She ran away again and this time she wound up where? At the very place where Amy Carmichael was serving and she embraced her true mother her true mother Amy and over the course of Amy Carmichael's life she rescued over a thousand children some say up to 2,000 children from essentially the trafficking we've been hearing about in the Sound of Freedom except over there it's just accepted practice in 1931 20 years before she died, Amy Carmichael suffered a serious fall where she became an invalid. Did she give up? No. For the next 20 years, she wrote two books a year. 40 books. Wow. Who does that? People who have been assaulted by Jesus Christ. I'm glad that we have heroes like Amy Carmichael that show us what The most salty and the most light looks like to inspire us onward. So thank God for Sister Amy. If I could pray big prayers for you young people in here, it would be to escape uh, America and go do that. I use the escape intentionally. (laughs) You could escape the idea that, you know, working, you know. there's nothing wrong with working 34 years and raising a family and building the next generation of Christian people for this country. That's what we're doing here. That's our main calling here. But I would also like to see a few that God might raise up that would just go and just do something like that be a be a hero, a heroine. So, brothers and sisters, we, to be salt in life, have to be unmingled, undiluted, we have to be filled with the Holy Spirit and we are filled with the Holy Spirit but yet the more we separate the more sensitive we become to that and the more intimate we become with the Holy Spirit the the better we can be um, I talk about this with my kids a lot so I hope they don't turn off right now but you know if, if you are getting to know someone or you, maybe you're moving forward in a relationship with somebody uh, a lot of times I mean I can still remember that all these years later, you wake up in the morning and who's the first one you think about, you know? Uh, I didn't have texting back in those days. Uh, today, they might get up and good morning, you know, texting each other. Uh, but if, if you love Christ more than anything, are you going to think of him first thing in the morning? I think you will. And I think we got to train ourselves. I think there's a discipline to us to overcome and say, I, I can't love this person right unless I love Christ first and foremost. When my desire is satisfied in Christ, I can love other people the way they should be loved. Where they don't become idols. Where they don't become a distraction from true love. The true love of Christ. You are the light of the world, he says in verse 14. Really just two points, salt and light. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and gives light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. What is light? Do you know that one of the most mysterious things that is being studied by scientists with lots of letters behind their names all over the world is light? Is it a wave? Is it a particle? What is light? We mostly think of light as what we see, right—the visible spectrum, which is a very narrow spectrum. There's light that we can't see. You think of the infrared uh, light. If you got a microwave, light heats up your food. Electromagnetic <laughs> radiation. Light is one of these wonderful, mysterious things. Uh, to the physicist. He's interested in the physical properties of light. How can I measure it? Uh, they, they measured it, they figured out it goes somewhere over 186,000 miles a second. Uh, the artist, though, looks at light a whole different way. So, an artist or a photographer who's a, a, an artist goes out and looks at how can I capture and frame this photograph in the right light? And light becomes then something that's beautiful. And glorifying and enlightening. And I think we learned something both from the scientist and the artist about light. It's through the sense of light. Light is the primary tool for perceiving the world and communicating with the world, it's how we understand the world. And so, in everything God created, there's two sermons, right? The two books. Creation and revelation. And Christ comes and tells us, I am the light. The very first time that God said, let there be, in Genesis was, let there be light. Because without light, you can't see anything else that's going on. Light is meant to teach us about spiritual realities, first and foremost. As a believer, we engage with creation in such a way that the unbeliever can't. As we look at it and say, my dad made that for me. Wow. And he's given me light and these eyes and the light bounces off of the, the apple and reflects back into the back of this nerve in my eye and these cones in there measure the wavelength and my brain tells me, oh, that's red. That's a red apple. That's amazing, isn't it? So light exists to teach us about the reality of God's creation and spiritual realities. Without light, the only thing that awaits a person, that awaits a person, is eternal darkness. It tells us in John 1.4, in Him was life and the life Was the light of men. Your life that you have right now. Where you are aware. And able to listen and reason and joy and light. All of that. Is because Christ is the source of life. The source of light. He lights you with life. And then he lights you with eternal life. And as Christ could not hide who he was, could he? I mean, every time he said, don't tell anybody, what did they do? They couldn't help but tell everybody, look what happened to me. Look what this man did. There's no one who can hide that light. It's impossible for a person who's born again to not be salt and light. We can't have fellowship with darkness anymore once we're made light. That's why we have these verses like 2 Corinthians 6.14 Don't be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever for what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness What communion has light with darkness? And there we see that light and darkness were meant to teach us about righteousness and unrighteousness. Paul would say to the Philippian church, he said, be blameless, which means don't be mingled where you're not salty. Be blameless, be singular, be pure of heart, be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Can't help it. When you've been lighted by Christ, you're going to shine. Isn't that good news? Isn't that encouraging? Sometimes we worry about what What? What I need to do. What I, we, abide in Christ. Abide in His Word. Sit at His feet with Mary and you'll shine. Everything you're doing, mom's... You're shining and you're being salt and light to raise up this generation. Everything you're doing, dads, to provide and encourage, discipline, instruct, you're being salt and light for the next generation. You can't help but be because you've been lighted by Christ. In Thessalonians, he would say, you are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night. Or of the darkness. No more. No more. Right? Once we walked according to the prince. Of the power of the air. But not anymore. But God who is rich in mercy. Shined his light on us. And ever I drive through Texas. I enjoy. uh, Used to we'd fly into Dallas. And drive to Amarillo. Up to my hometown. And it's just flat. And you can actually see. Out there for a long ways. Here you see trees, and I love the trees. I've gotten used to the trees, but I was claustrophobic for a couple of years. But out there, when you're traveling at night, you can look 50, 60, 100 miles and see the next town. You can see it out there in the distance, the light. When the thunder clouds are moseying across the plains out there, a couple of hundreds away, you can see the light show as the thunder and the lightning shines. It's glorious. It's beautiful. You can't be hid. You're going to shine. Neither do men light a candle, put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it gives light to all that are in the house. You can't hide it. Candles were meant to be seen, not put under bushels. And it gives light to all that are in the house. How are you doing with that? Are you shining? Are you letting your light shine? If we were light and we had this joy and this peace and this ability, why would we put it under a bushel? Why would we put it under a bushel We've got great instruction. I've said already that I think the rest of the New Testaments exposition and the Sermon on the Mount. if you go to Ephesians, Chapter 5, for example. We see this salt and light imagery in chapter 5 of Ephesians. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. He's God's the light. We are children of the light. We follow him. And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering of And a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. Savor. Salt gives flavor to our sacrifices. Our spiritual sacrifices to God. But because we still carry that body of death in us. The Holy Spirit instructs us the things that we can no longer participate in if we're going to be salt and light he says but fornication and all uncleanness and covetousness covetousness let it not be once named among you as becometh saints neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting just young people Particularly, you have to be in guard about foolish talking and jesting. Not to mention names, but I heard this week that when all the young people got together, there were some young people that were, some young men, that were pretending to be homosexuals and talking and acting like that in mockery, trying to be funny. That's not funny. But we're prone to that at certain ages. I know. I remember when I was that age. We can't be salty and let people see us acting like that. We've got to be careful about our jesting and our comedy. I think we should be funny. I think we got more reason to laugh than anybody on the earth. Right? But we've got to do it the right way. We've got to do it the right way. He goes on there and says, You were sometimes darkness in Ephesians 5. You were, past tense now. Now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You know what he's saying right there? Be who you are. You know, people in the world like to say that. Well, just be yourself. I would tell you as a believer of salt and light, just be who you are. Be salt and light. Don't be intimidated. We're not afraid of men. We have a reverential holy fear of God which has enabled us to escape that. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. How do we maintain our saltiness and our light? By not fellowshipping with unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them means expose them. We are to be exposers of evil and wickedness. And that's why a true believer, if he does fall into sin, and it's a public sin, will be the first one to come up to the front of the church and say, I have sinned, and he will expose that sin and confess it and repent of it publicly. There's great danger to trying to hide that and cover it up. Expose it. Bring it to light. Confess it. Repent of it. Don't have any fellowship with it. It's a shame even to speak of those things that are done in secret. Well, you know more than anyone how easy it is to have fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness today. And so you have to beware. And you have to be desperately in the word and desperately in prayer daily saying, Lord, help me use my phone for good. Lord, help me use entertainment to make me more salty, not diluted. Help me, Lord, in this present world we live in as Americans where we have great protections against persecution in our law and in our land. Help us, Lord, to use that the way that we ought to, to be salty and to be light. There's another great story I like to look at in John 9, uh, and thinking about being salt and light. And uh, it's about a blind man that couldn't see, and then he could see. And it's one of my favorite stories. Of course, like every story is a favorite story. John 9. And Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. So blind from birth, it means he's never seen light, he's never seen anything in the visible spectrum. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? That's always our reaction, isn't it? They think something happened to somebody because God's mad at them. Jesus answered, Neither has this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night comes when no man works. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus says the whole purpose that this man was born and went through all of these afflictions as a blind man was so that God might be glorified. What afflictions are you going through? Probably nothing like being blind. You know, we've got dear sister Carly who's gone blind in the past few years. She still comes with a smiling face full of joy. Because whenever you are salt and light, every trial you are given is going to make you more salty and more light. Because you're going to glorify God even in blindness. Anything that happens... And that's what happens in the life of this man. So Jesus makes clay of spittle, anoints his eyes and says, "Go wash." He comes away seeing. Now that's a long chapter. We don't have time for the whole thing, but y'all know what happens. They, he comes in a seeing, and, and some people see the man seeing it and uh, they know that this miracle was done on the Sabbath day. They know the Pharisees are after Jesus for doing miracles on the Sabbath day, and so they bring this man to the Pharisees. And, uh, and, uh, and he said, and the Pharisees say to him, how did you receive your sight? He said, well, God put clay on my eyes and I could see now. And then the Pharisees say, this man is not of God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath day. Ha! There, there's the perfect expression of darkness. Is that when someone could do a miracle to take a blind person born from birth... And let them see, who who cares what day it's on? That's a wonderful act. Well, and then they go get the parents. You know, and the parents say, he's an adult, ask him. And so they come back to this man again. They call him again. And they say, give God the praise. We know this man is a sinner. What's something to say about the perfect Holy Son of God? And I love, this is what he says, the blind man. And this is what you said when you came to faith. I don't know how it happened. But I know that whereas I was blind before, I can see now. That's all that matters to me. I can see. And Christ reveals himself to this man and he said, Lord, I believe and worships him. And Jesus says, for judgment I am come into this world that they which see not might see and that they which see might be made blind. Christ is still here in the world judging the world in righteousness every day. And believer, you as salt and light are part of that. As you come into this world and you bring the truth and how people respond to you and that truth, they will be held accountable for one day. We bring the light. We can't hide it. And then in verse 16, we come to the only command here in this section. And so the the salt and light is really combined with one command. And the command is let your light shine before men. Shine, folks. Shine for Christ. Be joyful. Be peacemakers. Rejoice. Christ is raised from the dead. He's seated and you're seated with Him. As if everything was already done and finished. And you can live your life in the light of that glorious truth. Let your light. So shine before men. That they may see your good works. Because you were. You are Christ's workmanship. Working in you right now through this message. Through your daily. Struggles and strifes. He's working in you. You are created in Christ Jesus. Unto good works. Which God has before ordained. That we should walk in them. And whenever we. Are able to live in a way that overcomes blindness, that allows us to live with joy in the face of cancer, to live with joy in the face of loss, to live with the face with joy in the face of widowhood or strife or kids who leave the faith or whatever. When we live with joy and peace and believing, doing good works in spite of that, and we are not overcome by those things. We are glorifying God by our good works. We are to show ourselves a pattern of good works. Titus 2.7. Pattern. Daily. Constant. It should be part of our daily life. And it is. Believer. As you are salt and light. You are having an effect on people. Even when you don't speak. You know sometimes not speaking. You can have more of an effect than if you do. I know even. When I was first. Uh. Born again, I was in my 30s, I was at work, and I was around somebody who came up and cursed and then looked right at me and said, oh, I'm sorry about that. And I hadn't said anything. I was like, why did he apologize? I didn't say anything. He, it had to be that he sensed the Holy Spirit, not me, that was there. We have an effect because we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So be encouraged in that. Everything you do, you are influencing every little detail. Don't despise the day of small things. You are having an effect. And we should seek to cultivate being more fruitful and more salty and more light in this world. Well, it's impossible to be like this apart from a supernatural act of God's sovereign grace and mercy. And uh, I'm so delighted to be able to walk this way with y'all and to experience this saltiness and light as y'all have had influence and effects on me. Y'all have helped me to be more salty. Y'all have helped me to think about how I speak and how I act and to try to do better in those things. I'm so grateful for that. And uh, I want to encourage you to keep keep up that good work. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. I'm so grateful that at the cross, all of my unsaltiness was put to death and the penalty paid for my corruption that I had contributed to the world. You see, every day, brothers and sisters, we are contributing to the world and influencing it, or we are bringing more decay and corruption. There's no gray area. work. Salt and light or we're not. So let us be salt and light. If you have never felt like you have come to that place where you have sealed that love and passion for Christ, I would encourage you to do it now. Do it today. This world is so powerful. It's coming after you every day. I'll tell you, at 62, I'm becoming more and more aware of Satan's thought machine. You know, his Wi-Fi machine that he has where he sends thoughts. And, uh, And I think pastors in particular are particularly under fire in that area. But these thoughts come into my mind and I'm thinking, I didn't have that thought. Where did that come from? That's the fiery darts of the wicked that Paul speaks of. That's going on every day. There is real warfare going on between your ears every day in the world. And it takes effort and wisdom and character to be able to stand and to be salt and light in this present evil world. I pray that God would bless you to do that.